0: And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tonics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you authorized to do. Soldiers also asked, And we, what shall we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations, And be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation, all were questioning their hearts concerning John. Whether he might be the Christ. John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn. But the shaft he will burn with quenchable fire. This is the word of God. Please be seated.
1: All right, Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 20. Let's pray and ask God for his help as we look at his word this morning. Join me as we pray. God, we thank you for your kindness to us that we have your word. Your Holy Spirit gives us uh, your power to understand what it means and how we ought to apply it, how we ought to trust you and live our lives in obedience. We pray this morning that you would open our hearts to trusting you more, being willing to set aside our life, uh, as we just sang, and surrender to you for your glory and, uh, and experiencing the joy of knowing that a life in you is uh, a life bound up in eternity. God, we pray for those who aren't doing well this morning. Think especially of Tiny. Ask that you'd have your hand on him. Uh, Karen and Ed, as well, and a number of others, Lord, who just aren't feeling well and are really praying, God, that you would provide help in a time of difficulty. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 3, 1 through 20, we're going to talk a little bit about a guy named John the Baptist. I'm sure you're familiar with him, and I wanted to help us think a little bit about what John the Baptist was doing in anticipation of the ministry of Jesus which we'll take up in earnest uh, next week. There's a piece of equipment that most of us uh, use on a somewhat regular basis, which maybe we've gotten to the point where we take it for granted. It's a, a GPS. Maybe you have one on your phone or you have one in your car. Or maybe you have one in your phone, on your phone, and on your car, and you have them compete for the best route. A GPS, what a GPS does while you're driving is you enter your destination. It will tell you. The way to go to get to that destination, and if you've ever traveled out of town in a city you're not familiar with, you may wonder yourselves, how, how did people do this without these? How did, how did you find a gas station? Did you have to know, did you have to ask a guy where a gas station was? But, so we've, come, we've learned to rely on, they give you instructions of where you're going and and where you are. What I want to suggest is John is a spiritual GPS. John is a spiritual GPS, and we'll look at it more closely here in a minute as we work our way through the passage, but his job is to tell us where we are and where we're going. Spiritually, he wants us and the people of his time in anticipation of the ministry of Jesus to understand where they are, where we are, and where they're going. What road are they on, according to John the GPS, the road to destruction, That's what he's going to tell them. John said, let me fill you in on where you are and where you're headed. You're on the road to destruction. Now, many of you guys, and I don't want to pick on the guys, but I will. You type in the coordinates or you type in your destination. I want to go to In-N-Out Burger or whatever you might be, and it gives you a destination. And what do you say when it shows you the directions? Some of you guys do this. I know a better way than that. Uh, oh really? You take 99. Huh? Rookie. And then it gives you and then it gives you an estimated time it will take to get there. And what do you say? Challenge accepted. <laughs> I see your 14 minutes and 30 seconds. I think I can do this in 12. Here <laughs> we go. Drop the hammer, and we're flying. So that's what we do. A GPS tells us where we are, tells us where we're going, and immediately we argue with the thing. And that's exactly what people did with John the GPS. He says, let me tell you where you are and where you're going. And the argument started immediately. No, John, you don't know. And there's really two primary arguments we're going to see in this passage. When John says you're on the road to destruction, the first argument is this. I'm not doing anything wrong. What do you mean I'm on the road to destruction? I'm not doing anything wrong. Or I'm... I'm doing some things wrong, but they're not as bad as you might think. I mean, the, sure, I'm doing some things wrong, but they're not road to destruction kind of wrong. They're really just a speed bump in my life kind of wrong. I'm not doing anything wrong. And, or maybe if I am doing something wrong, it's not that bad. Or, I'm sure, I've done some things wrong, but you know what? I kind of I mean, weigh it out. I go to church. I come from a religious family. I mean, kind of at the end of the day, it balances out. So what's the big deal, John? Get off your high horse. How is it that I'm on the road to destruction? I'm not doing anything wrong. It reminds me of a, a scene in a film. I can't remember the film, and if you remember it, I don't need to know what it is. It's an old film. It's a woman. It, the character is a woman. I'm not picking on women. Okay, that's the move. I'm just describing the movie. She's parked in her car, and she's waiting for a, a person to back out of their parking space. And uh, she turns on her blinker, and the person backs out of the parking space, and then pulls away, and she starts to pull into the space, and this guy in this little sports car convertible swoops in, takes her spot. You know the film, don't you? I don't want to know what it is. I think it's a... You know what it is? Yeah. Steel Magnolias? What? Fried, it's worse than steel. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> See, I was worried I would have to admit I've seen this film. <laughs> I, I know it from somewhere, so it's fried green tomatoes. Delicious. So this person swings in, if if you haven't seen the film, all the guys are like, oh, I didn't know that was a movie, huh? And she's irritated as you would be. I mean, appropriately irritated, right? So what she does, drops her vehicle in the car and just slams into the convertible as hard as she can. Just slams into it. And what does she say to the guy? I've got good insurance. That's Yeah, I've, yeah I don't know the line, but I haven't seen the film. I, you know, <laughs> they're correcting me on the line. The point is... I, I don't, it doesn't matter that I did something wrong, I'm covered. I'm, that's not wrong, I got good insurance, I'm good to go. This is the argument the people of Israel are making. We're not on the road to destruction. We got Abraham, we got Isaac, we got Jacob, we got circumcision, we got the law, we got the temple. And John says, repent. You're on the road to destruction. Here's the point we're going to make here in just... As we work through this, to escape judgment requires admission and action. That's what John is going to say. To escape judgment requires admission and action. We have to recognize what is wrong and be committed to doing what is right, even if I'm a child of Abraham, even if I can claim I got good insurance. To escape judgment means a recognition that I'm doing wrong and a a desire to do what is right and pursue the Lord. Look at verse Three. We're going to skip verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2 are really, really important for Luke. He outlines the historical context for when John is ministering. The main thing we want to understand from this is this was happening in history, and this was not done in secret in a corner. At the time, if you were alive, you could have gone and talked to people who had seen and heard John himself, and Luke had done that. And so Luke sets it in its historical context. Verse 3, John went into the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The Jordan River he was, is, is east of uh, Jerusalem, and the area he would have been ministering is just uh, at the top of the Dead Sea, maybe a little bit north of that uh, Dead Sea. If you've got your uh, maps in the back of your Bible, that's kind of where John was hanging out. He went out there and he was proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Couple of things, this is review, but we need to make sure we understand it properly. What are sins? Sin is being in rebellion against God the Creator. Being in rebellion and doing rebellious things against God the Creator. The Bible makes it quite clear. You can look in Romans chapter 3. Every single human who has ever lived is in rebellion and acts on their rebellion against God the Creator. Every single person has sin in their heart and has committed acts of sin. Everybody needs forgiveness from God for our offense against God. There are a number of things that we know are sinful in attitude and action. Envy is one. Have you ever been jealous of somebody? No? Let's start with lying. Lying. Right? Have you ever been greedy? No, I've never been greedy because I'm not rich. You don't have to be rich to be greedy. You just got to want more. You just got to say, I don't have enough. Now I'm greedy. You ever lied? You ever been arrogant? You ever been proud? It's not, I'm not proud. I just am better than everybody else. What am I supposed to do, right? All of these things are, are sins of attitude and action, and they offend the Creator God. To think that God has not given us enough and to be jealous of others or to desire more than he has given offends him, and he rightly would push us aside because we have said he isn't good enough and we know what's best, and he says, no, we're separated from one another because of your rebellion. In order for this relationship to be restored, we must receive forgiveness for our sin, To receive that forgiveness, what John is saying is it begins with repentance. Repentance is saying, here is what has broken my relationship with God, my sin, my rebellion, my evil, and I want to turn to God. And repentance just acknowledges the reality. I cannot turn to God for forgiveness while remaining with my sin. Does that make sense? It's just a very, very simple thing that we struggle with a little bit, I think. I want to turn to God for forgiveness, but I also want to keep my sin. Right? Now, any other relationship, this wouldn't make any sense. Say, I really want my wife's forgiveness for my adultery, but I also want to maintain the relationship with my mistress. He said, you don't want forgiveness. That's what we would say, wouldn't we? You don't want forgiveness. Well, that's what we're saying to God. God, I want forgiveness from you, but I want to keep my mistress, my sin. He said, well, that's not how it works. Repentance is I want to... No, this sin is killing me, and I want relationship with God, which is life. So I'm going to turn from my sin and turn to God by faith in Jesus Christ. So repentance is turning from my sin for my hope and turning to Jesus for my hope that I might have a restored relationship with with God. Forgiveness is difficult because we don't think we need it. We think God is being a little bit too uptight. I've never killed anybody. That's what we do when we want to justify our sin. We compare ourselves to people who have committed a capital crime. What's the other thing we say? I'm not Hitler. Is that what you can say when you get to heaven? Why should I let, well, I'm not Hitler. Is that what it is just, this is the place where not Hitlers are? That's not how it works. But that's what we do. Well, I haven't murdered anybody. And then some of you, well, okay, now what do I do? I have murdered somebody, you know. That's what, so all we're doing is we're trying to justify, I don't need to turn from my sin. So I don't need forgiveness, or I don't need much forgiveness. What John's baptism, what John's message was, your forgiveness has ruined your relationship with God and has killed you. Your sin has destroyed your relationship and, with God and has brought you under judgment. You need your sin forgiven. To do that, you must trust God To trust God, you must turn from your sin toward God. It's a baptism of repentance. John's message to every single person who would hear him, religious, irreligious, Jew, Gentile, tax collector, soldier, Pharisee, priest, some guy just wandering by the Jordan River, you need forgiveness for your sin. That was his message. There's this great poem in verses 4, 5, and 6 of Luke chapter 3. It comes from the book of Isaiah, and we discover here from Luke that this passage in Isaiah was anticipating the ministry of John the Baptist. And listen to what is said about John the Baptist. He is the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled every mountain and hill shall be made low, the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh will see the salvation of God. So we have the purpose here for John, this poem of purpose for John. His job is to make his path straight, that is the Messiah Jesus who is to follow him. So what John does is he says, look, we're on this road to destruction, highway." I well, highway to hell. I mean, I don't know how to say it. It's a song. They wrote it. It's a, it's a road to destruction. He says, I've got an off-ramp. I've got an off-ramp for you. And he said, this is what's great about the off-ramp off of the road to destruction. It is straight. There's no curves. This isn't a trip through the woods. This isn't that, you know, whatever that road is, the Brookings, where you feel like you're going to fall off the cliff into the Smith River. This is a straight road. There's no elevation change. All the valleys between here and there have been filled in. All the mountains between here and there have been leveled. It's a straight, level walk off of the road to destruction. And it leads to forgiveness of your sin in the Messiah Jesus. So you leave the road to destruction and walk onto the straight and level path, which is faith in Jesus for forgiveness. And how do they respond? Same way everybody does. John, I got 100 problems. Sin doesn't make my top 10. If you're going to give me a level road without curves, how about a road to Rome not being in charge of Israel, John? Let's talk about real life. Yeah, great. We shouldn't sin. But I got other issues. I got no job. I got no money. My neighbor doesn't like me. My spouse doesn't like me. My kids are in rebellion. My car won't run. I don't know what it is, but that's what we do. Is John says, here, I've got the road to hope. And we, along with everybody during John's time, says, what, forgiveness? Like, that's your solution. So that's what we're coming with. With everything this world has thrown at us, you're going to come with get forgiven. And that's what John is saying. He says, look, I've got this road. It goes right to the Messiah. He gives you life in him by granting you his righteousness when you trust him. And everybody was annoyed with that. Salvation from God is from what? Sin. Salvation from God is not from whatever is not sin for you. We can say it generically. Salvation from God is from the problem, sin, not a problem, whatever your problem is today. And that's the people of Israel, along with every generation since the first century, even up into and including this generation, is we got lots of things going on. The one thing we really aren't that uptight about is forgiveness of sins. I need God to show up in some big-time ways, and forgiveness of sins seems a little bit like, really? I mean, of all the things, sin. Because we've, we've completely misidentified how bad it is is what we've done. And that's what John is trying to help us get get our head around. He says, listen, I've got hope off of the road to destruction, and it is Jesus, and it is a straight road, and it is a level road. All it takes is repentance and faith, and you're forgiven. That's good news, isn't it? Unless you want something else, then it's lame news. John was a really good preacher. That's why he got killed. Verses 7 through 9. Here's what he had to say to the people who were listening to him. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. Do you not know how to, like, grow a church? I mean, has he not read some of the books that are being cranked out on how to make sure lots of people show up and they give lots of money? Apparently not. He read the How to Get Beheaded in Ministry book, and it it worked. It's probably not appropriate. You brood of vipers, he's essentially calling them children of the devil. That's what he's doing. You brood of vipers, everybody understood? The great serpent from Genesis chapter 3. This is the devil, the Leviathan of Job. This is the devil, the great serpent, the accuser. He's basically calling those who are coming out to him, children of the devil. Devil, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we've got Abraham as our father. I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm covered. I tell you, God is able to, from these stones, raise up children for Abraham. Even now the ax is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. It's very, very simple to understand what John is telling these folks. You don't come out and hear me. And get baptized for a religious experience. You can keep your religion, he is saying. You can keep your Abraham, he is saying. If God needs another tribe of Israel, if he needs another crew from Israel, he can do that with rocks. This is a baptism of repentance where you're saying, I am a sinner. I want to walk away from my sin and live a life of righteousness. And he makes it very clear. To repent and follow God in righteousness anticipates fruit-bearing. To repent of my sin and have new life in God through faith in Jesus will result in fruit. That is an ability by the power of the Spirit, we'll see in a moment, by the power of the Spirit to say no to sin and say yes to obedience to God. That's what repentance and 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 the life God gives us in Christ does, is we bear fruit. If you plant a lemon tree and it grows no lemons, what do you do? Well, it depends on how bad you want limits. I don't know. If it doesn't bear fruit, you cut it down. Try again. One of the parables Jesus says, there's a, a landowner and he has a manager and the landowner says, get rid of this tree. It's not bearing fruit and it's using up my soil. And the manager says, no, let me dig a trench around it and fertilize it with manure. Give it one more year. We'll see if it bears fruit. A tree that has been remade will bear fruit. And that's what John says. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. To say no to sin and to keep on sinning is not to bear fruit in keeping of repentance. To say no to sin is to turn to God in faith and pursue righteousness and not sin. Who is he calling children of the devil? Those who want old-time religion while still doing what they want to do. That's just the devil. I'm going to call myself religious and live my life my way and John says, what are you talking about? Sin ruined everything. How are you possibly going to keep living in that world? Repent, he says, turn to God from sin. To turn to God, you must turn from and bear, bear fruit of repentance. I don't write this stuff, so I'll just read it again because it seems offensive. And I'm kind of a people pleaser. I don't want to offend you. So I'll let the Bible do it. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. There it is. I don't tell you. You don't like it. Does that bother you? It bothers me. I don't know if it bothers you. It bothers me. Well, you can take that up with the guy who wrote it. Don't send me your emails. I don't know. You can send God an email, but maybe just pray. This is what John expects. To turn to the Messiah, the straight road, the level road of the Messiah is to turn from sin. If that doesn't make you uncomfortable, you're reading it wrong. Verses 10 through 15, the crowds asked him, what should we do? That's a good response, isn't that? Oh, man, John, what well, you're onto something. I'm an idiot. What should I do? And look at what he says. Whoever has two shirts, share with the one who has none. Fruitful repentance. Stop your selfishness. Be generous. Guy has two shirts. Now that's a lot of shirts for back then. You know, I don't. I, I have five shirts. I mean, There's five weekdays. Why would you need more than five shirts? And uh, so the guy got two shirts. So in giving his shirt away, how naked is he going to be? Zero percent naked. He still has a shirt. See, God is not asking, or or God through John is not asking that we go naked to give a guy a shirt. He said, would you give the guy a shirt that you're not using? So you got an extra shirt in your closet, you're not using it. Why don't you take the shirt out, you're not using it? Give it to the guy who's got no shirt. So some of us are going, well, gee, it seems like a lot to ask. So God is asking you to give stuff to people you're not using. Uh, Can we handle this? Yeah, we have entire organizations set up for it. We clean out our garage and take it to Goodwill or Salvation Army. We do this all the time. This is what he's saying. He might even say it this way. This isn't even what we would normally call sacrificial giving. This is just being willing to say, you know what? I don't need 10 shirts. I can give one of my good shirts to a guy who doesn't have a shirt. I still have nine good shirts. That's what he's saying. Is bear fruit in keeping with repentance, which means... Open my eyes to the people around me, and if I'm pursuing Christ through repentance and faith, I might see people differently. He doesn't have a shirt, and why? why what are you immediately thinking? This guy has gotten a shirt. Well, he's lazy. He's a drunk. He's irresponsible. If I get him a shirt, he's going to think he can just get shirts without working, right? And what does this say? You just give him away. Give him the shirt you're not using. Let him deal with his issues. Stop being selfish and instead be generous. That's a fruit of repentance. As I walk away from selfishness, the world is about my happiness and pleasure, and instead have a heart of generosity that says I exist in Christ to bear fruit of generosity to others around me. Next one. Tax collectors also came to be baptized by him. Teacher. Teacher what should we do? Verse 13, quit your job. Enroll in seminary and go into the ministry. Notice he doesn't say that. Does he, does he tell them to quit their job? Who thinks he should have told them they could should, Quit your job. He doesn't say that. Sets the bar real high for these guys. What's he say? Don't cheat people. Like, Can you manage that so you can keep working? You can keep making a living. Normally, these tax collectors, what they would do is they would purchase a contract from the Roman government to collect taxes in a particular area. They were allowed to charge a fee for their services. So if uh, the tax revenues of a certain place was $10,000, they would pay the Roman government. They would bid on it. Hey, I'll pay you $7,000 for this area to collect the taxes. Roman government gets their money up front. Now the tax collector will collect $10,000. He makes a little profit for the efforts to collect the taxes. But some tax collectors say, well, what if I collected $15,000? Nobody knows the difference. The only people who know what the tax actually is, me and the Roman government, they're paid off. They don't care what I collect. And all John says is, just collect the appropriate tax. He doesn't even tell them not to make a profit. He just simply says, don't be a cheat. A fruit of generosity is to stop cheating and live a life of integrity. A fruit of repentance is my honesty is not merely in front of people, it's when nobody knows the difference. A fruit of repentance, I stop cheating and pursue a life of integrity. Finally, some soldiers came up to him. What should we do? Don't extort money from anyone who threats uh, by threats or false accusation, be content with your wages. A fruit of repentance, turning from sin. I'm going to stop being greedy. What's greedy? I don't have enough. It doesn't mean you feel like you've got to be rich. You don't have to be rich to be greedy. Greed is merely, however much I got, not enough. You know what would be great? More. Those are all just expressions of greed. We assume greed is always uh, stealing from others or crushing others through our uh, enterprise, that's not it, it's just an attitude that comes from my heart, Says or your heart, mostly yours, um, I don't have enough, I'd be happy if I had more, good question on that, and just for you to think about, do you have more now, compared to when, I don't know, think 10 years ago, you got more, are you happy, how's it working, maybe you just need a little more, that always works, keep, keep trying I guess, so what he's saying is, stop that, there's no happiness there. Repent of greed. Repent of, of, of that. And instead, a fruit of repentance is contentment. You know what? I'm good. You know, I'm good. If I get a little bit less, I'm still good. If God piles it on and I get a little bit more, I'm still good. Contentment is a fruit of repentance. See, some of us get all worked up and say, well, gee, if, if repentance links through acts of righteousness, then I feel like I've got to. Well, what if I don't measure up? First of all, we don't have to measure up. Jesus does the measuring up for us. Secondly, let's just look at the bar John is setting. Don't cheat. Be willing to share stuff you're not using, and don't extort. So are we okay on these? Some of us boy, this is going to be a struggle for me. Uh, can we do two out of three? Can we? So this is what we have. All he's simply saying is, Turn from this, pursue God through faithfulness, uh, through faith, and you will see the fruit of righteousness in your life. Fruitful repentance. Look with me down at verse 16 of Luke chapter 3. I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So how are we to accomplish this? How are we to repent and bear the, the fruits of repentance? It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what's fantastic. God, by his kindness, calls us to repentance. God, by his kindness, gives us the power to turn from sin, turn to Christ in faith. Then he also gives us the power by his Spirit to bear fruits of righteousness for him god empowers all of this we just trust him and then we act on that faith through obedience look with me at romans chapter 5 of course i mean romans chapter 8 verses 5 through 11 this is a late ad so it won't be on the screen i'm just going to read romans 8 5 through 11 just to remind you how romans 8 start there starts there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus It continues on in verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death. To set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Listen to what it said in verse 11. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is in you. I've said this before, I'll repeat it again. Raising people from the dead is hard. Agreed? How hard is it then to raise God from the dead? The, the Spirit, and, and Christ, and the Father as well, this is a team project, raised Jesus from the dead. That Spirit resides in you to give you the power you need to say no to sin and to say yes to fruits of repentance by the Spirit. Do you have what you need to walk by the Spirit and bear fruits of repentance? Yes or no? Yes, you have the power in you that raised Jesus from the dead. That means even though our body is not yet raised, it says our mortal bodies in Romans 8, we have the power by the Spirit to say no to sin and to say yes to Christ on that straight road of repentance by faith. We have everything we need. The road to destruction, the first way to end up arguing with the GPS is to say I'm not doing anything wrong what we need to do is say, I am doing something wrong, and I need to repent. If you're not in Christ, you need to repent and turn to Him for life and receive His Spirit that you might have the power to live in a way that brings Him glory through fruitful living. If you're in Christ, my guess is you haven't stopped sinning yet. How do I know? Because we're not in heaven. I mean, Southern Oregon's nice, but that means we still struggle with the remaining sin in our flesh. So even as believers, we need to be, have John preach to us a little bit and say, what am I doing? Why am I living over here? That's not a fruit of repentance. I've got the Holy Spirit in me. There's no need for this garbage. I want to turn to the Lord in repentance and say, no, Lord, I want to bear fruit for you. I want my life to be a fruitful tree for you. And we have to do that as an act of the will an act of trust in Christ and the Spirit He has given it. The road to destruction. First, bad answer that will keep us on that road is, "I'm not doing anything wrong." Okay. Second one. This one will only take 45 minutes. Some of us will, might say this, and, and I know it wouldn't be anybody here. It, it's those who couldn't make it this morning. Okay. I get it. I'm I'm not going uh, doing my life right. I'm sinning. Uh, I there's certain things in my life that I enjoy that aren't God's ways and. And, uh, and I get it, you know. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, but you know what? I don't really see the downside. Been doing this for a long time. Hasn't really caused any problems. In fact, I find it pleasurable, whatever it is. And I don't see the downside. In fact, I kind of, what's the difference does it make? It's my life. Nobody gets to tell me what to do. And if God has an opinion, he hasn't shared it with me, I haven't any problems yet. So, one thing we say on the road to destruction is, I'm not doing anything wrong. The other thing we will say on the road to destruction is, who's going to stop me? Who's going to stop me? I've been living this way a whole long time. I don't see, I see what the, who's going to stop me? Another movie scene, not fried green tomatoes. There's these agents, they were being trained to become CIA officers And they would go and do various scenarios and things to get trained and to be evaluated, whether or not they'd be successful officers. And after a day of rigorous training and exercises and solving problems, they were finally in the common room where they were staying as trainees, and they were uh, blowing off some steam by um, playing poker and chatting about the day. And they're playing poker, and they're yammering on and, you know, being big time, strong guy, CIA, yay. And they're kind of blown off steam. What they don't realize is the entire thing is being watched. The trainers are watching through cameras how they're playing the game and how they're interacting with their other officers because the trainers, and they had told them this, but they had forgotten, we're evaluating everything. Even how you play poker with one another after hours tells us a little bit about how you might perform in the field as a CIA officer. You're always being judged. You're always being evaluated. The road to destruction, who's going to stop me? We can be fooled into thinking that we are in charge of our lives. Our autonomy, that is our independence, can make us believe we can do as we like. A judge is coming, and what we do matters. Look at verse 17 of Luke chapter 3. Some of you are saying, no, I don't want to. Well, it's on you. John started this section by saying, I baptize you with water. He who is coming is mightier than I. Verse 17, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his barn, the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. A winnowing fork is a separation tool. You've got grain that has been ground out, and the winnowing fork you you throw the grain up into the air, and the useless elements of the grain are blown away by the wind. They're useless for anything, for human consumption or anything. What you want to retain is that which has value for making into bread or to find flour. And so the 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 good farmer will come in and winnow with his fork, using his fork to get just the the valuable and fruitful elements of the grain. And the useless elements of the grain are blown away. And normally they're scooped up and burned in a burn pile and and, and, and John is saying, the Messiah is coming, and he is going to judge. He will separate the fruitful from the not. He is the Savior, is he not? But Jesus is also the judge. Either by faith in Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit and fruitful life, or you get fire. That's what he's saying. Jesus is the Messiah, but to reject the Messiah is to accept his judgment. You say, well, that sounds kind of rough. Have you read the book of Revelation? This is what happens when we reject the lamb who was slain. He gives his life for our salvation, and to reject him is to accept judgment from him. Look what he says about this. This is funny. He just says to them that he's going to come and separate the wheat from the chaff and burn the chaff. In verse 18, so with many other exhortations, he preached the good news to people. I don't know, JC, you get good news. What part? Good news. I mean, that sounds kind of rough. I mean, go easy, John. Where's the part where we get lots of money? I mean, where's, where's the good news? This is good news. John is giving good news like you would get from a doctor. Guess what? You only have strep And we have got antibiotics that will completely treat that. It's not something that can kill you. That's good news. I mean, but you're saying, well, I don't want to have strep. Well, the good news is we have an effective treatment. And that's why this is good news from John. John is saying you're dead. But there's an effective treatment. Repentance, trust in Jesus for salvation, and fruitful living by the Holy Spirit. This is great news. Oh, it's not great news if you want to keep sinning, though then it's kind of lame. So if you want to keep sinning, yeah, I guess I'll grant you that. This is pretty terrible news because to have life, we're repenting and turning to God for fruitfulness in the power of the Holy Spirit. John preached good news. It only seems like bad news if you want your good news to be, God accepts me and I don't have to stop sinning. Then yeah, it's kind of bad news. God wants to call us to fruitful Righteousness. Let's get, see a good example of this road to destruction. Who's going to stop me? Verse 19 Herod the tetrarch had been reproved by John for Herodias. Herod had married Herodias. Herodias was Herod's brother, brother's wife. And John said, You know what? That probably that wasn't right. That was sinful. And what Herod should have done is said, You're absolutely right. I need to repent and turn to Christ for my hope and salvation, that I might receive righteousness and lead a fruitful life. Herod didn't do that. He said, do you know what would be great is people would stop saying I'm a sinner. I think I'll lock up everybody who calls me a sinner. And that's what he did. Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by John for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked John up in prison. You know how that ends for John. He eventually loses his head at the whim of a dancing girl. Herod says, no one can stop me. I'll imprison John and eventually I'll kill him. No big deal because everything's fine today. I've been living my life and everything seems to be hunky-dory, but here's the point. Things will not always be okay because the day will come when Jesus will show up and he will winnow even Herod. No one gets off this planet unscathed. Either the judge identifies us as fruitful by the presence of his spirit, or we are chaff and we are judged. And Herod is no different, even though he was the most powerful man at that time. Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 26. I believe it'll be up on the screen. Here's what it says But as it is, he, that's Jesus, has appeared once for all at the end of the ages. To put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Thank the Lord for that. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will come a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Do not be fooled. You can get away with it your entire life. Every single person is appointed once to die. And I know we're all alive, and so we don't think that happens, but I've done some research. Everybody has died who hasn't yet. Or doing the math in my head. Let's say it this way. The mortality rate of this rock is 100%. This is the most unsafe place to be as far as I can tell. Everybody on this planet is dying. I mean, literally everybody. They have not fixed it yet. We now live longer. In fact, we have, because of our great medical advances, which I'm grateful for, we now live long enough to experience ailments that never happened before because we never lived long enough to have them. So we now have medical solutions to help us live long enough to have things which there are no medical solutions for. I'll use them. Everybody dies, we stand before the Lord, and the winnowing fork comes out, 100%. The rich, the poor, the great, the meaningless, all of them. Everybody stands before the Lord, and the winnowing fork is pulled out, and it is as simple as this, do you have my spirit? If you have my spirit, then you bore fruit from repentance. Judgment is coming. There's a song. What's funny is I actually kind of like the song. It's by a guy named David Crowder. Just so you know, one of my spiritual gifts is to ruin songs you enjoy. It's called God Really Loves Us. Maybe you've heard this on the Christian radio station. I'm not going to sing it. You're welcome. That's a fruit of repentance. I have. David Crowder, he sings this. God Really Loves Us. Here's how the opening uh, section goes. I've got a friend closer than a brother. Who's heard the song? Anybody heard the song? Am I going to ruin a good song for you? I've got a friend closer than a brother. There is no judgment. Oh, how he loves me. I've got a friend. I actually really love this song because when I hear it, it reminds me anew of how much God loves me. And I do appreciate that part of it. I don't want to throw it completely under the bus. The problem is that line, there is no judgment. I'm sorry, what? That's kind of what he does. That's, there is Judgment. Now what's great about this particular judge is he can love us nonetheless, but to say that Jesus is not judging, you're going to have to tear out a pretty significant portion of your Bible. Second Corinthians chapter five verse six. Again, late ad, so it's not on the screen. You may have to flip on your device. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. Who are we talking to? Believers or non-believers? Boy, oh, boy, we're really hedging our bets here this morning, aren't we? Think about it; it's going to be important for what I'm about to read. Believers or non- is he talking to non-believers here? No, you're, yeah, you're afraid dude, it. Here we go. Buckle in. Now, like I said, I didn't write this. I'm just reading it. Verse 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. David Crowder, love this song. You're wrong. He judges. And even as believers, by God's grace, by the power of the Spirit, when we stand before him, We look forward to, with certainty, stepping into our inheritance. Praise God, right? However, we're going to have a conversation. And we're going to have a little chat about what went down in terms of that fruit of repentance here. That's what's going to happen. That conversation for every single one of us is going to be... Awkward, at best, but he's going to love us. But what the Bible is calling us to do is look at that day and say, okay, I know that day is coming. That's what the Bible says. That day's coming. So what should I do today? What does a life of fruitful repentance look like today in light of, of that day? Or do I want to live for just merely tomorrow or 10 years from now or Graduation or my retirement—is that what I want? Is that what I'm, what I'm trying to pay, figure out? Or do I want to live? Wait, there's a day where Jesus and I are going to sit down. I'm hoping we have have some coffee. We might need something stronger for that conversation, right? And he say, "Let's. What do we got going on here?" And even though that might be hard, we still get to step across. We still, if you got the Spirit, you're going to glory. But this conversation is in your Bible, and we might want to consider this even today. So, even though we recognize that John the Baptist was calling the the religious and irreligious nonbelievers alike to trust Jesus, as believers today, we should also allow the message of repentance to send a little bit of sweat down the back of our neck. Have that hair stand up a little bit, and we go, "Oh man, i I think I think I've been I think I've been a little sideways recently." There is nothing wrong with with allowing the Bible, by the power of the Spirit, to hit us where it hurts, and say, "Wait a minute, woe is me! I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I am from a people of unclean lips. Lord, have mercy on my soul." And then we walk in the joy of our salvation. We're going to get ready to uh, take communion together, and let me just touch on a couple of quick things to really set the mood. And you're like, yeah, that's great. If you're here and you're a believer today, I just have a couple of quick questions. If you don't like these questions, Seth wrote them. What sin have you decided is, you know, this, this one's okay. What sin have you decided, you know what, there's worse things. What sin have you decided you can just kind of sell? That one's going to, that, that's okay. And you're living at, in, in a way that sort of that says that it is compatible for me to pursue Jesus in a life of, of faith and love while at the same time enjoying the pleasures of this sin. Which, I might suggest everybody has one. I might suggest everybody has a couple. And right now, this is a great opportunity to go, what am I doing? No, it's not compatible. I have fooled myself into thinking I'm not doing anything wrong. I've fooled myself into thinking who's going to stop me. It's time in this particular area by repentance and faith to say, you know what? That's in my past, not my future. I'm chasing Jesus down. This is for those of you who don't know Jesus. Do you want peace and hope for the future? It is only through forgiveness of your sin, through faith in Jesus. Let me put it this way. If you don't want forgiveness from your sin, you don't want Jesus. If you want forgiveness from your sin, you want Jesus, and he receives all who come to him by faith. Lastly, this. Judgment is coming. In Christ, we have confidence for the future. But I think it is worth remembering we will have a conversation with him one day to give an account of our life. And do we want to have a conversation where we are trying to make excuses for a life of compromise? Or do we want a life marked with fleeing from sin through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ? I'm going to read uh, 1 Corinthians Chapter 23, beginning in verse 27. Before I do that, why don't we open our elements so that we can have that accomplished and we can make all kinds of racket now. As always, I recommend opening the bread first, a little bit easier, and then open the juice side. In keeping with this theme of repentance, I'm reading 1 Corinthians Chapter 11, beginning in verse 27, I'm going to read to verse 32. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, then and so eat the bread and drink the cup. Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. In fact, that is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. What our scripture here is calling us to do is as we eat the bread and drink the cup today, to remember Jesus died for us to forgive us for our sin, not so we could keep on sinning. And the opportunity we're going to take here in a moment of prayer before we eat and drink together is to come before the Lord and and take it in a worthy manner, saying, Lord, you are right. I am wrong. This needs to be in my past, not my future. And there are things each one of us need to bring before the Lord as a manner of repentance and say, I want to participate in a celebration of communion today as a recognition you have saved me from my sin not save me in order to keep on sinning. So let's do that now. Let's take a moment in quiet prayer to seek the Lord in repentance and receiving by faith his forgiveness knowing he receives all who come to him in repentance. After a few minutes I will close our time in prayer with thanks for the bread and cup and then read a scripture before we eat and drink together. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are here with us by your spirit. We thank you that you have heard our prayers of repentance and confession. Your word tells us that your grace is sufficient. God, as we have thought about those ways in which our lives fall short, the reality is some of us are experiencing, even in this moment, a feeling of great shame guilt, conviction. And I would pray that by your grace in this moment, your spirit would minister to our hearts, that you would move in us in a way that we recognize, that our sin has been cast into the sea. And when you say you forgive us, you really mean it. We receive your righteousness. Would you rebuke the accuser who seeks to convince us we don't measure up because when we trust you, Jesus, we do. We thank you for this conviction of your spirit that leads us to repentance. And we also pray, God, that you would give us the joy of freedom of knowing our sin has been washed away. We thank you, God, for the bread, which is a symbol reminding us that your body was broken, taking upon yourself the punishment that we deserved. and we thank you God for the cup, a picture of your shed blood that washes away our sin, purchasing a people for yourself. Where I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread,